more. So if I leave some questions unanswered, then that's all the more reason to come back next week. Uh, because we can't cover everything here in one, one time. But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come with thanksgiving and praise. We honor and glorify, magnify you. Lord, you are the source of our life. You are our God. And Lord, we know that you've spoken to us through your word. You have revealed yourself through your word. And the word and the Holy Spirit combined become for us a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway that you, you illuminate us and show us what to do and where to go and how to function. So, Lord, your word is a lamp and a light, and we look to it today and ask you for that light to come, information to come, answers to come. Give us utterance in the Holy Ghost today, we pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. Now, notice they turned the lights down a little bit, <clears throat> but if you go to sleep, you're in trouble. <laughs> I think it's very interesting for us to note that of all the people in the Faith Hall of Fame, that is a, Hebrews 11, and the first person actually mentioned by name would be Abel and his offering. This verse begins to show us that there is a spiritual connection between the way we use or handle things of value, which would include our money and the things that money buys, and the kingdom of God. One of the major reasons that Christians live in material lack is because they don't understand and they don't appreciate this connection between the material wealth of the world and the kingdom of God. It seems on the surface to be totally unrelated. It seems rather unspiritual. And depending on what religious background you may have come out of or what religious tradition you may have come out of, it may almost be a taboo thing that should even be mentioned in church. But... I will repeat after nearly now almost 43 years of pastoral full-time ministry, the, the reason, one of the major reasons that Christians live in material lack is because they do not understand and appreciate the connection between these two things. We are not supposed to be living according to the world's system of money. Jesus taught us in John 15, 19, and in John 17, 14, that we are not of this world. Now, we know, obviously, we're in the world, but he made it very clear we're not of the world. We, as believers, are supposed to live by a different standard and, therefore, have different results. Your life and mine should not look like the world's life, on a number of fronts, including the area of material things and material blessings. I want you to uh, go over to the book of Genesis chapter 26 with me. And again, we're looking back to the book of beginnings very early on. And this is an account of Isaac, the son of Abraham. 
And uh, there's an interesting uh, statement that's made about him. Um, and he said, uh, well, we'll begin to uh, read uh, chapter 26. Let's see here. Um, Verse number 1, I guess we'll just start there. That's the best place to start. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land. So he's saying to him, don't go to Egypt, which is what most people would have done from this area in Palestine when droughts came, when the seasons of of drought came over, they would would go down to Egypt and stay until the famine was over. Because Egypt, of course, fed by the Nile River, which has its beginnings all the way down in the nation of Uganda, down in Central Africa, Uh, the droughts up there in the Middle East don't have any effect on the Nile River. And so they would go down there and stay and be sustained until the season of drought was over up in the Middle East. And so then that they would move back up there. And that's exactly what Isaac thought he would do. But the Lord said, no, you don't do this. Well, Isaac, being a farmer, having he's now a partaker of the Abrahamic covenant, having seen how God had blessed his father Abraham and how God had even supernaturally provided a sacrifice which saved his life years before, he understood that he could trust God for the supernatural. And so that's why in the land of famine, in the season of famine, he did the craziest thing in the world according to the world. He sowed his seed. Nobody else was sowing. Nobody else thought it was a good idea. But Isaac sowed his seed. God told him, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Now notice that he had a word from the Lord as to what he ought to do. And he knew that God would take care of him. And so he simply obeyed him. He understood that there was a covenant between God and his father Abraham that he had entered into. And therefore he knew that God was going to take care of him. Look down in verse 12. It says, Then Isaac sowed in that land. He sowed in the land of famine. He sowed in a time of great need. And it says, And received in the same year, the same year, the year of the famine, an hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Now remember, we're talking about we don't live according to the world's system of finance and money and material things. We're not dominated by the news headlines, interest rates, inflation rates, stock markets, gyrations, uh, corporate business decisions, 
governmental decisions, none of those things change the covenant. You see, that's what Isaac knew. He knew what the circumstances were, but he knew what God said. And he chose to act on what God had said. So verse 13 says, And the man waxed great and went forward. Notice he received a hundredfold harvest. He waxed great, went forward, grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants. And the Philistines, what? Envied him. They envied him. You see, material blessings are part, not all, but they are part of the witness of covenant people who have a covenant with God. Material blessings are part of the Christian witness today that we have. The world should look at us and say, how did you do that? And we should be able to say to them, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. We should be able to say, but God can make every blessing and every earthly favor abound toward us so that we having all things may have all sufficiency unto all good works. We should be able to declare that my God supplies all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We should declare before the world that we have a covenant with God and that that covenant includes every need met to the point of abundant overflow that we're not only blessed and cared for, but we are a blessing. Hallelujah. And that's the way we live. That's the way this church lives. We don't have any mortgage anymore. We give away more than we've ever given. We have more than we've ever had. It is just a constant stream and supply of blessing. That's why today we're not, uh, we're not fundraising. We're not trying to pressure anybody. I'm just trying to teach you how to make this work in your home. How to get this into your personal life. Amen. Now we know according to Jesus' teachings in Luke 16, 11, and I'm going to turn there and we'll read that uh, together in just a moment. In Luke 16 and verse number 11, Jesus is teaching here and he makes this interesting statement. He says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, and that word means money or wealth. Who will commit to your trust the true riches? So Jesus differentiates between money and true riches. And I think most of us could understand what true riches are. True riches are things that money can't buy. That only come from God. You can't earn them, per se. You can't buy them. They only come from God. For instance, if you have some kind of physical infirmity that keeps you from getting a good night's sleep, wouldn't you think that healing of whatever that is, allowing you to get the restful, restorative sleep you need, wouldn't you think that's, a, that's something good? Well, that would be one of those true riches because that's not something you can buy. You can buy a wonderful mattress. You can spend a ton of money on a mattress. But you can't buy a good night's sleep. You can buy the best food in the world. But you can't buy a good, properly working digestive system. Things like divine healing. Things like the gifts of the Spirit. Things like 
being led by the Holy Ghost in supernatural ways to be in the right place at the right time and all that kind of thing. Those are true riches that you can't buy with money. But in this verse, Jesus makes a clear, unmistakable connection between these priceless riches and our faithfulness with money. Now, to the religious mind, that just doesn't make sense. How could there be this kind of connection? Why? Why is this so? And here's my answer for you today. Because you cannot separate money from your spiritual life. Now, I can tell from my response that I get here today, not everybody's sure that that's true. And that's all right. If you, if you don't know, you don't know. But follow the scriptures. Check these references that I give you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, and in Luke chapter 12 and verse 34, Jesus makes this statement, repeated in both verses, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We would probably be surprised at how many people that might be somewhat familiar with this verse would misquote it by saying, where your treasure is, I'm sorry, by saying, where your heart is, there's where your treasure is. That's not what Jesus said. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money affects your heart, according to Jesus. Money also reflects your heart. What you do with your money reflects where your heart is. Billy Graham made this statement years ago, and this was before the great digital age, but he made this statement, and some of you'll, you'll relate to what I'm going to say anyhow. He said, give me five minutes with your checkbook, and I'll tell you where your heart is. So just look at your financial statements, and you can tell where your heart is. Some people have more of their heart at Walmart than they can imagine. <laughs> Some people have their heart in various other places, but Jesus said, wherever your treasure goes, that's where your heart's going. So money affects your heart, money reflects your heart, and money can also direct your heart and take it in a specific direction. Your financial records, your financial statement of worth says as much about your spiritual life as it does your financial condition. Thank you for your overwhelming enthusiasm. Let me say that again. Your financial records, your financial statement of worth says as much about your spiritual life as it says about your financial condition. Because your heart follows your money. Hallelujah. Now many people think that money is evil, money is dirty, money is something even that should not even be mentioned in a spiritual setting because after all, the love of, you know, after all, the, that money is the root of all evil, some people say. But that's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all evil. I'm not teaching you to love money. I don't love money. 
Hopefully you don't love money. We use money. Money is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It all depends on whose hand it's in. It all depends on who's going to use it and for what. Your money will take on the purpose you assign to it. That's why when you assign your money properly, it will help keep your heart in the right place. Money is a tool just like a carpenter uses a hammer, a mechanic uses a wrench. Just, just like they use those tools, we use money. Can you say amen? Now, it's interesting to note, again, referring to Genesis, this time chapter 2, verse 11, that we find out early on in the dawn of human history where the gold was. Evidently, God wanted man to know it. And he created man and placed him in close proximity to the gold. Hebrews 13, I'm sorry, Genesis 13, 1, tells us that he made Abram very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And this was before the promised child Isaac was ever born. So this is a real good example of the contrast between natural riches and true riches or spiritual riches. Because he had the the true riches of the covenant and the word from God. And then God also blessed him with natural riches. Can you say amen? And I know that today's Family Sunday, and I know that we've got young folks in here today, preteens, teens, and I want to tell you that I was in church for years and never heard a sermon like I'm preaching to you today. I never heard a pastor put these scriptures together and tell me. And so there was many year, there were many years of my life, even my Christian life, I was born again when I was 10 years old, and there were many years that I did not know that, I, that this was so important. I didn't know that there was a connection between what I did with the money that I had and my spiritual life. I didn't realize that my heart followed money, my money. I I didn't know any of these things. I didn't understand really much about the aspect of worshiping God with my substance and honoring God with my substance. But it's a powerful, powerful truth that every believer needs to know. I want you to go with me now in your Bible, please turn there to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy 28. And I'm going to read to you the first 14 verses. Now I know that's quite a bit of scripture, but it is so powerful and so good as you're finding it. I want to lay a little foundation before I begin to read. And that is that what I'm getting ready to read to you is actually the promise the covenant of of provisions that God made to his covenant people in the Old Testament. Now, I remind you very quickly of uh, the, the word of God that tells us in Hebrews 8, 6, that we have a better covenant today. You and I as Christians have a better covenant than these Old Testament saints had. So everything I'm going to read to you, just think, I've got it better than this. The blood of Jesus paid for me to have even better than this. So I want to read to you and I want you to realize these things are yours. If you will get the connection between your money and or your material things right between you and God, 
you can walk in a greater level of blessing than you've ever known in all of your life. Amen. I want to read 14 verses. Let's look at them together. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket, and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way, and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses. Think bank accounts, brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, piggy banks. And in all that thou settest thine hand unto, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee in holy people unto himself, as he hath sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God, and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see, there's that thought again, the witness that it brings, the blessings bring. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, and in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thy hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. There's no way to read the Bible in context and connect scriptures properly subject to subject without understanding and realizing that poverty is a curse. Lack is a curse. It never entered the human existence until the fall. And that blessing and increase is the idea and the thought and the will of God. He didn't create this earth for the devil and his crowd to abuse and make the mess they make. He created the earth and the fullness thereof for his children. And you are one of his kids. I like to remind him of that. I know he knows who I am. But I like to let my faith speak. I like to make those confessions of my faith. Hallelujah. And so I, I just want you to understand that we have all that we've been reading about and we have more. 
Now I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And here, Paul, the apostle, uses what we have in our English Bibles as two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, where the subject matter is giving. It's finances. And um, he makes this statement, and we, we won't... Uh, be able to go into a tremendous detail today, but we have more information to come. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9, he says, for ye know the grace, notice that word, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that means an abundant supply, please understand, I'm not talking about dollar figures, you know, uh, 50 years ago, if someone was a millionaire, that was like a, being a billionaire today. Numbers change with inflation and all the rest. The word rich means an abundant supply. That's more than enough. That would be every need met, every bill paid, money left over, money in savings, and money that can be used for anything God tells you to use it for. Amen. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Notice it was a choice. He became poor. Here is substitution. Most of the time when we talk about substitution, we talk about the substitute for our sins. And we talk about him as a sin offering. And he was, thank God. But he also became poor with our poverty, according to this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Notice it was a choice he made. He became poor. Where? At the cross. I mean, anybody traveling with an entourage of 12 men, some of whom were married and had families and provided for their needs, was not broke. At the cross, however, he laid aside everything. Even hung without clothes, shamed before the world naked. He became what we were. He became sin with our sins. He became sick with our sicknesses. He became poor with our poverty. Why? That ye through his poverty might be rich. So Jesus became what we were, poor, that we can be what he is, which is rich. And this is a grace blessing. Notice that verse again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important to mention? That it's a grace blessing. Because it means that we don't earn it. We don't buy it. We don't deserve it and never will. But we can enjoy it because it is received by faith. Now I know that there's some grace blessings that God pours out that people don't exercise faith for. The sun shining, the rain falling, the air we're breathing. But I'm talking about any covenant transaction. You in relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Walking as a new covenant believer. If you're going to take advantage of the covenant provisions, it will be received by grace through faith. Now, when you talk about money... That brings up something very interesting because a lot of people think the only answer for my increase is that I work more. That everybody in the house works. We can see if we can rent out the dog and maybe make a few dollars there. Whatever we need to do. But that's not what this grace is about. 
This grace is about, yes, you're productive. You're not lazy. I mean, God, God's not in favor of laziness. But he's also not in favor of you never seeing your family, ruining your marriage with too many hours gone. He's not interested in you working till you're so worn out that you cannot enjoy life beyond work. Amen. God wants you blessed. And I know, and uh, in, at least in the past, I don't think it's so much today, but in the past, there, you know, a lot of us grew up in a, in a context of, you know, you just need to keep working, 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 more, 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 do more, do more, do more. Sometimes, you know, even though you need to work reasonably uh, enough, sometimes you do need to stop and listen to God because, you know, he's just got some better ideas than I've got up here in my head. And one idea, one word from God can change the rest of your life. One word. It could be a word about an investment. It could be a word about something to purchase. It could be the wor- a word about an invention, a witty invention the Bible s- speaks of. It could be a word about uh, being somewhere and, uh, or meeting and connecting with certain people. It could be any number of things that God could bring into your life such a blessing and an increase that your life would completely change and it would affect not only you but the generations that follow. And that is what God wants to do for you. And I know when I say this, I know even in teaching this, there would be people that say, you know, man, I didn't come here for this. I didn't come to hear this. Uh, you know, my, my, I got, my bills are paid all right. I, you know, I like my job. I'm okay. But, you know, if you're thinking about what you have and what you can do right now, and that's as far as your thinking is going, you're not thinking big enough. God is not limited to our little peanut brain. God doesn't think like we think. He said in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That doesn't mean we can't think the thoughts of God after him when they're revealed to us. But what that means is on a, also one thing it means is that on a general, uh, in general terms, God is not thinking as little as we do. God's not on a fixed income. Amen. And, he does, and, and, and if anybody's going to fix your income, it ought to be you and God. Amen. Not you and the Social Security Administration. Or you and the local union. Or you and the company you work for. Or whoever that may be. We can and we should use our faith for finances and blessings. Not the world system of greed. But I'm telling you, God wants you blessed. God wants you blessed. Now, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's close by once again looking at what that verse says, Hebrews 11:4, about Abel's giving. Abel's giving. The first person mentioned in the great faith hall of fame, the first person mentioned by name, was a giver. That's the first thing that he points out to us about uh, about this great faith chapter is by faith Abel offered. Number one, notice that he offered by faith. By faith, that's one of about 20 times that by faith or through faith is used in this chapter. And so he says, by faith Abel offered. So what happened here? And, And I want you to think about your giving 
in this light. Maybe you can just kind of make a mental note and from time to time in the future, just don't let this go. It is a word-based action of obedience. That's what giving by faith is about. It's a word-based action of obedience. Abel learned about giving from his parents. They learned from God himself. The reason he knew to bring his best was because he knew that's what God wanted. He knew that's what God deserved. And that brings us to the next point. Not all sacrifices are alike. Notice it says he brought a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And you know that story in Genesis chapter 4. He brought a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That means not all sacrifices are alike. Not all sacrifices are acceptable. Have you ever thought about the definition of the word offering? You offer. You know, if you offer, let's say you've got uh, three desserts for dinner. Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> and you've got banana pudding. You've got pecan pie. And you've got, I don't know, let's say strawberry cheesecake. So we'd say, these are our offerings. What does that mean? You can have it if you want it. When we bring something to God, we're offering. He doesn't accept all offerings. He doesn't have to accept anything other than that which is acceptable, not to me, but to him. See, a lot of people operate in the financial realm on their own. They've separated that realm from their spiritual life. Now, like we said in the early part of the message, that's a big mistake, and that's not biblical, but a lot of people do that. And so they decide what God will get. And if we're not careful... We can, we can even give an offering that God doesn't accept. This is pretty important stuff. Not all sacrifices are alike. God wants your first, and God wants your best. And so that's why we teach and preach and practice tithing. Glenn and I were tithing when I wasn't making $100 a week. Nearly 47 years ago. And I can tell you that I don't regret tithing for all these years. I've never met a faithful tither over the long term who ever said, I'm so sorry that I ever tithed. I wish I had all that money back because I could have done so much better with it myself than I could have given it into the kingdom. And we'll talk more about that as we, we get into it a little further. Uh, not today, of course, so don't get nervous. You're going to get lunch. But another thing we see in this verse is that God witnessed or God sees. Notice, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness. Who was the witness? God. God sees. Isn't it interesting at Mark 12, 41 through 44, you can read about Jesus sitting over by the treasury. Doesn't that sound like a preacher? sitting over by the treasury, watching what people put in. <laughs> you know, and they didn't have offering envelopes. 
So you couldn't wad up that $1 bill in 14 different folds and put it in an envelope anonymously. <laughs> couldn't do that. No, but he saw what they were putting in. The reason I bring that up is because God always sees the offering. He always sees. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still watching the offering bucket. He still knows what you give. And though people may not have a clue if that is enough or if it's obedient or if it's a tithe or not a tithe or if it's a good offering or not a good offering, people may not be able to tell, but God knows. God knows. And therefore, that's why in the Gospels we find that, that there were people who gave very little, numerically speaking, but Jesus said they gave more than everybody else. Because it wasn't based on what they gave. It was based on what was left over. Ouch. Jesus is still at the treasury. And then notice, God testified of his gifts. So not only does God see, but if we give like Abel did as an act of faithful obedience, then God's going to make sure that other people can see. No, you don't have to brag on what you give. You don't have to give that number out. You don't have to report in every Sunday what you did the week before. That's not it. You don't have to bring your tax return in so we can just see if you're tithing or not. That's not it at all. What this is saying is that the God who sees when it pleases him will testify of your gifts. So here's the point. If you truly are giving biblically in God's way, you can't help but be seen to be blessed. And don't hide the blessing. Don't be ashamed of the blessing. This is kind of uh, second level, third level financial teaching from the Bible, but I'll just throw this in here. You know, you don't have to hide that you're blessed. You say, well, I don't want people bothering me. You know how to say no. That's what I had a guy tell me one time, an older gentleman told me, and he told me in love, and I didn't get mad about it, but I've never forgotten it. I was complaining as a pastor, a young pastor, just in my 20s. I was complaining about all these people that wanted to come and preach at our church. And he said, oh, pastor, you know how to say no. And I never forgot that. The guy was a millionaire, so he, he knew something about it, I guess. But the point I'm making is your blessing is a part of your testimony. Amen. See, people should occasionally, somebody should want to know, how'd you get that? Right. You know, there's this guy that does this TikTok thing. I know you didn't think I was young enough to even know what, <laughs> that there was a TikTok. And I'm not a TikTok fan, I'm not advocating, but, but he does this thing where he goes around to these mansions and he knocks on the door of people and he asks them, you know, what is it you do? And he asks them, and they are able to tell him what they do, and you know that gives a reflection of why they're there. Well, there could, you know, that could be a lot of hooey. Uh, you know, it may not be that much to that. But the point is, people should be able to, if they ask you, you should be able to say, "The blessing of the Lord it maketh rich, and He adds no sorrow with it." They might see what you drive, and they may imagine what they think it costs, but. It probably didn't because you're blessed of the Lord. You got a deal. They may see your home and think, man, that must be, you know, whatever, whatever. And they don't know, but God 
can open the door. So God will testify. And God is no respecter of persons. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 4, Cornelius was told by the angel that your giving and your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. And that was the household that God chose to open the door of faith to the Gentile world. And most, if not all of us in this room here today, are part of God's kingdom as a result of what Cornelius did. And before there was ever a preaching by Peter and the Holy Ghost fell in his house, there were prayers and there was giving. And it got God's attention. God is no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. He is a respecter of obedience. You know, parents with multiple children, we love our children. We love all of our kids. But you know and I know that no matter how many children you have, if in a given situation there's only one at that moment that is obeying you and pleasing you, then that's the one you're most pleased with. You love them all. But God respects obedience and faith. I want to close with this this morning. And uh, as I said, we've got more to come. And so we're going to take names. And whoever's not here next Sunday, we're, we're going to know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing I want to close with. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4. It says, I'll just read the whole verse and finish it. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, that's by his giving, by his offerings, he being dead, yet speaketh. The last thing I want to share with you today is that Abel's giving outlived him. If you are obedient to God with your giving, it will outlive you. And I don't just mean in leaving an inheritance to your children and your children's children, because that's biblical. But I mean that you will be a sower of seeds that will reach the world and reach people that only eternity will tell where that has gone. Amen. When we give like we give as a church... We give generously, we give a lot, but we are touching lives in places that we will never be able to go. We touch people that we will never meet until we get to heaven. And even if I died today, my giving will outlive me in the next generation. And so you see, as long as I'm a giver, as long as I'm a tither and a giver, my heart will always be directed toward the Great Commission and the Kingdom of God. I will keep it in the right place. We could say this, if you ever feel on the verge of backsliding, just come bring the biggest offering you've ever brought. <laughs> and then as you know you've got to believe that harvest in, you, you might think twice before you go do some crazy thing. <laughs> Your heart follows your resources. So put them in the right place. Amen. We didn't get done today. And I probably 
in some cases might have raised more questions than answers in certain aspects. But we're not finished, and, and I'm sure we won't be here for months. But we have a little more to say, and I hope you'll listen. Because God wants to get you out of the rat race. You don't need to be working 60, 80 hours a week. You don't need to be spending all your waking hours busy for something else. You need to learn to live on God's system to such an extent that you are so blessed that, that the world envies you. Amen? You say, well, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, stick around. We're going to tell you about it. Amen? Well...